Yeah, it was very. Interesting. There were also some like very like funny moments in this, which we'll which we'll get to as we go through it. But um, yeah, as ever, you know, Tony, we stand. He's there. He's plugging away. Um, getting getting richer with every single iteration of this documentary. Yeah, he is. He's living in N one now, I guess, because that's the postcode I saw on one of the the cars. Like there's a little stamp there, like a parking pass on one of the cars. Uh, so okay. yeah, which is what that's Islington, isn't it? Yeah, is yeah, N1 is like Angel. It like said it said Angel North London Canterbury. where yeah. he lives, but then I definitely saw some so maybe it was like N1 cab company or some bullshit, but like it it uh, looked okay, like that's yeah. about where he was living. So yeah. they'd not moved out of the city yet. Okay, yeah. Cuz he eventually winds up in Essex, but yeah, he's and so Tony and Tony and his wife basically do they they both drive cab the cab now. And she does day shift, he does night shift. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is very funny. They're, they're doing like v- Victorian style like shift. They have one cab. She drives it in the morning. He drives it in the evening. A very cunning move. They have three children now. Uh, they have a 13-year-old son and two little girls who look like they're probably about like maybe like five and two or five and three. Yeah. Uh, and all does not seem well with their marriage but like not in the way that i feel like it wasn't necessarily framed like yeah when we talk about um nick remember nick and his wife it was really framed in an oppositional way and michael app did seem like he was trying to provoke them in 28 up yeah which was weird because they didn't seem like they were having an argument at all and he was trying to like create an argument it seemed like he was trying to get the guy from yorkshire to argue with his wife about what a woman's place is it reminded me a lot of, um, you know, that bit in the day-to-day where the guy provokes a war between Australia and Hong Kong by being... I don't, but tell me about it's it. Like, it's like Chris Morris and he's, uh, he's the, and the, the subject of, like, because everything on the day-to-day was obviously insane. And then, like, the concept was that Australia and Hong Kong had just agreed a trade deal. Um, and then he gets like the uh, like the British High Commissioner in in Hong Kong on the call, and then like the Prime Minister of or the Foreign Minister of Australia or something, and they're talking about it, and he's like, and he's like, and what and what would you say if uh, if Hong Kong would would go back on the on this on this term of the agreement? And he's like, well, we wouldn't like that very much at all. And he's like, and what would and what and he turns to the Hong Kong guy and he's like, well, well, what would you say to that? And he's like, well, I don't think that's likely to happen, but we certainly. Well, we'd certainly have to take action, and, he's, and then he goes. I think he's like, and what do you make of this? And he's like, "Well, I don't like the tone that he's taking with it." <laughs> and, then he basically, and then by the end of the interview, Australia and Hong Kong are at war. Um, and he's like, "It's war!" And then everything in the studio like rotates. Right? Yeah, yeah I but have just seen that, that thing I have about seen like, that. yeah, just provoking a conflict where there is none. Uh, that was sort of Michael Apted's vibe. Whereas with Tony and his wife, it seems more like. He, in a roundabout way, kind of admits to fucking around when he's in Spain on the lads' holiday. Oh, really? Is that the vibe you got? He's like, you know, he's like, he's like, you're tempted, and you always say, "Oh, I know what you were up to in Spain." He's like, but you know, you just don't admit it. And like phrasing it that way, it's kind of like it sounds like he's giving an interview that's going to be off the record, but his wife is literally in front of him, (laughs) like she's on camera. Yeah, there's this kind of. I don't know the, the old the old school geezer energy of the kind of like hear no evil see no evil like you know I'm I you're like look what what happens with me on the lads trip in Spain as long as I'm back on Monday and I'm behaving myself with you and the kids that's all you need to know. I mean Britain in terms of some of the problems it has had with a lot of situations that we don't have to go into too great of detail about seems to have operated on a hear no evil speak no evil basis. Oh yeah. When you think about stuff like. 
general cultures of abuse and exploitation, whether it's in boarding schools or fucking mm. where, pick your thing. BBC television, you know. We yeah, could- yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, shows involving disc jockeys, some mm. of which- some of whom may have worn short shorts on a regular basis. Now, look, I just wanted to be a regular jockey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't realize that- uh, They're that not kids. They're just little geezers. <laughs> John Peel, it wasn't any anything in the same fucking universe as Jimmy Savile, but John Peel, apparently, after his death, it was like a similar thing. People came forward and like, oh, yeah, like he was known to like- go after the like 16 year old interns and shit like that or like you know he yeah he had, there yeah. was a culture of john peel being kind of like a creep which mm. i don't know if, because of how it works here if that would have been legally actionable but it's one of those things like after the fact you're like oh this guy also was taking advantage yeah yeah i don't know much about and it was and the way it came out i remember being a bit more complicated because i think like jimmy savile for better or for worse was always one of those figures where a lot of people had thought like surely that guy's a bit of a wrong one because of his overall vibe whereas i think john peel was someone who was like kind of a bit more beloved yeah he was kind of like the record collector anorak guy people loved him yeah because he is kind of like because he brought so many like cool bands to prominence and and stuff like that live sets that he would record on his show were amazing like they did a really good job of basically doing live in studio music yeah and and from what i understand but i'm not sure i think it chimes with what you said which is like the allegations were, were more of the tone of being being a bit of a creep and like kind of but not not necessarily like or certainly not on the on order, the order of, of jimmy savile I mean, Savil did was so uh, unconscionably awful yeah. that it's hard to compare much to it but and and, and, and to, to paraphrase pierre novelli when he, we talked about it years ago he was talking about michael jackson but jimmy savile was the same it was as if he would like lost a dare and basically had to go around being like, how how can I make it as obvious as possible yeah, that he's I like am an cursed author? to have to communicate to people that he is a pedophile without using the word pedophile. And then there's like, you know, people are going, well, he's got a whole fun fair in his back garden. That's pretty weird. And he's going, yes, I must be a lovable eccentric. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I... Jockeys, disc jockeys. Look, yeah. bring it back to Tony. Yeah, I, I know because I've read ahead that uh, that mm. it's later revealed that he. I mean, he and his wife stay married, but that he had cheated mm. on her. Right, uh, and I think they talk about this in later installments. Right. Okay. Yeah. But uh, that it was around certainly like whatever it was that provoked the most amount of stress in their marriage was around the time of Twenty Eight Up. Um, but they they stay together. Um, but yeah, I, I, I did notice that it seemed very strange to me to be saying that in front of her, like, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know if you remember, this is based on a, on a true story. And I, I think this might be a line of verbatim line, but there's a movie called 54 and it's about the, the famous disco studio 54 in New York city. And I can't remember the, the operator's name, the guy who owned it, but he famously, went on like a late night TV show and the guy, the host asked him, how much are you guys clearing? Like how much you guys make in a week? And he leaned over and talked to the host and whispered in his ear. And then the guy was like, really? He's like, God damn. And then the guy's like, well, you know, what the IRS doesn't know won't hurt them. And he said this on fucking national TV. So what do you think happened? <laughs> the IRS did an audit. Audited his ass. And yeah, I mean, it all, it all kind of tumbled down from there. And he was, I believe was like, mega on cocaine because it was the 70s. I love being that dumb. It's such a fun, like, yeah, just just threaten the IRS on camera. Why not? 
the famously most merciless arm of the American state. Yeah, I was going to say the one, the one who's like direct action strike force. I'm the most scared of, not because I have anything to hide, yeah, 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 but yeah. because I know those guys are probably the real shooters. Like yeah, they yeah, absolutely, absolutely know yeah. how to fucking do a dynamic breach. Yeah, the IRS SWAT team. I, I was just, I was just taken aback. Yeah, by by they're that. Gonna, they're not going to kill your dog. You could write that off against your tax bill. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. how you defeat qualified immunity is basically you mm. make you make them have to all, all the fucking they're gonna impound your dog and charge you for the upkeep yeah but uh i was gonna say i'm not gonna make that joke because like i'm sure that's been done that even if there are damages paid out like that's just like that's just why kids don't have erasers on their pencils in chicago public schools because they just have to dump all this money into like the settlements for fucking police brutality and shit so actually yeah, like yeah. it's not even a joke um yeah, Tony. Tony is interesting. Like he's doing bit part uh, extra work as an actor. He hasn't yet gotten to the point where we know that later on he'll be uh, doing like little bit parts on soap operas as a cab driver. But he says his life's turned out really well. And you know, when he said he's like Michael Apted, kind of con- kind of challenges him and says like, you know, he's like everything I set out to do, I did. I-, I I was able to do. And he's like, well, you didn't really. I mean, you weren't able to be a jockey professionally. You weren't able to make it in show business. And he was like. Yeah, but, you know, better to be a has-been than a never was. And it's like, mm. it seems like kind of a fucked up thing to say in a way for Apted to say that because it's like, yeah, yeah well, he, he quit being a jockey because he made the assessment that he wasn't going to be good enough at it to be successful. And after having done it, done the thing, like where he raced in a professional race with like legends of the fucking discipline, yeah. he's like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do this at that level as a job. So I'm going to do something else. People, he became a cab driver, successful at that. He is doing acting and taking acting classes, but obviously like he's not getting to that re- level yet, but he's still mm. doing it. Yeah, so it yeah, seems yeah. kind of weird for me. Like, Oh, you're not a, you're not a fucking film star. It's like, well, yeah, Michael Apted is so funny. He's such a bitch. He's so cunty. Like he loves it. He's like, you can, you can imagine him there like filing his nails. Like, well, you're not much of an actor. Are you? Yeah.